Hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. This is a very special election episode. We are recording this on Wednesday, uh, the day after uh, election day. It is still too close to call. Uh, right now, uh, Joe Biden uh, leads Donald Trump uh, in the Electoral College, 238 to 213. Uh, we're waiting for uh, votes to come back in uh, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia. There is some questions about Arizona, which we'll, we'll probably get into some of that later into the little nit- the nitty gritty of it all. Um, but uh, I think Will and I just wanted to kind of come together and, and uh, discuss sort of our thoughts about what we've seen so far, uh, some of the reactions to the election, um, and kind of, you know, how Christians can be thinking about uh, this election, especially in this really uncertain time. So, uh, Will, how, how has your 24 hours been since Election Day? What, what's kind of the stuff that you've been focusing on and paying attention to? Well, I mean, you mentioned Arizona, and that was the one that was uh, incredibly unexpected. Uh, as I was watching the news, one of the commentators, uh, you know, you have the, the person with the map and they're touching the screen. And then you have uh, one of the commentators like, whoa, 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 we need to go back and just not only talk about, you know, how big this Arizona is thing, make sure we don't skim over it, but also just how shocked it was when the, the man who was operating the screen, how he would responded to uh, that flip happening. So um, that was unexpected. Uh, you know, um, watching the odds flip in Vegas, also that happening, how you have favor Biden to highly favored Trump to going back to less favoring of Trump. And I haven't looked at them today so far, but that has definitely been all over the map. Um, I know the stock market uh, has been interesting to watch. The yen uh, was dropping significantly in China with uh, the suspicions or, or possibility of a Trump reelection. Um, there's also news of major selling of um, uh, military equipment to Taiwan recently by Donald Trump, which is something China obviously doesn't want to happen. Um, a lot of unknowns right now. I think, I mean, you know, as, as we go into this, I mean, it's kind of, it's pretty exciting. I mean, uh, you know, 2016 was an exciting election insofar as it was completely unexpected. There was nobody or their mom. I mean, there were some people, but most people, at least all the pundits said, this is a lock for Hillary. Um, this election was supposed to be more of a lock for Biden. It hasn't shown that yet. Uh, it's, it's, so it, there's some drama here and watching what comes back, regardless of who wins, uh, there's a lot of drama in following everything. And then I think there's also just the question of what this election is, what this election isn't, um, what we know and what we don't. Those are kind of the big things that I'm thinking about right now. And um, I I mentioned the stock market, just go back as we speak, it's up 612 points right now. So it's up pretty high. uh, And and I don't know if that is because they are more confident of a Biden win, or maybe they know something about a Trump victory. I don't know, but they're, the, the markets are definitely responding to this uncertainty, which, which is weird because the market doesn't like uncertainty. Yeah, we'll get to the, um, what it is, what it isn't, uh, all that kind of stuff later. But I, I want to go back to what you were saying about um, expectations going into this election. I mean, um, we love polls. People, you know, we kind of eat them up. Uh, we think that they tell us a ton. Um, and, I, you know, we thought we had learned our lesson in 2016 that polls are really uncertain. In 2016, we basically learned that they weren't very valuable. But then we were told that the pollsters had corrected 
I even heard some uh, folks talk that the polls were actually overcorrected for, for Trump so that uh, even when you were seeing polls with uh, Texas being a coin flip, Biden up 17 points in Wisconsin, that those actually were favorable to Trump. And then um, as the votes come in yesterday and, and coming in today, it's just clear that that's not the case. I mean, what are your thoughts when you see, you know, polls that were telling you Texas is a coin flip, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin going to go for Biden double digit points. And here we are with, you know, a six point win for Trump in Texas. It really wasn't that close um, in the end. And then, uh, you know, we're still fighting it out in Wisconsin and Michigan. And last time I checked, it's going to be decided by something like 20,000 votes. So what, what do you think about that uh, aspect of the election so far? It is another instance of the pollsters get, and getting it wrong. And they will say this, though. Look, there are still a lot of votes to be counted at this point. There's still a lot to come in. And so it could end up being a lot closer to what they were expecting. We don't know that yet. It depends on what the mail-in ballots are, are counted as, how those look. Those are presumed to be favoring towards Biden. But it's such a toss-up right now <laughs> because of COVID and uh, the different... Um, uh, the unexpectedness. So I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't seem like the pollsters were, it doesn't seem like whatever corrections were made don't seem to be the ones to actually adequately reflect um, the American voter. And I think furthermore, there's a lot of people that don't trust them anyways. And there's a lot of people out there who don't want their name associated with a particular candidate. They don't want their name or their phone number locked in uh, in, in records like that. And so there's an untrustworthiness. People are watching the news seeing, uh, if you vote for this certain person, you're like this or that. And, and they don't want, they don't want that kind of association. And so it's not surprising that people have been more reticent to give their, to give their, uh, information out. Yeah. We were at a happy hour together on, uh, on Friday. And one of the guys that was there, he made a really good point that if you looked at the polling, sort of the first question, you know, who are you going to vote for? Biden or Trump. And, you know, people were trending heavily towards voting for Biden. But then if you dug into sort of questions two through 20, um, the answers just looked Republican, uh, you know, on issues, on matters of, uh, you know, personal circumstances, what have you. It just looked like that that initial question didn't match up with what what the voters were saying uh, in the remainder questions. And so he kind of pointed to that and said, hey, you might see a surprise on election day. It turns out that that, that might be the case. Um, yeah, I, I just think that one of the most interesting aspects of this election, uh, and it, you, you kind of referenced it to it when you're talking about the drama of it all. You know, I've heard multiple uh, pundits on all the different channels. You know, I've been skipping between you know Fox, CNN, MSNBC, trying to get a really ABC, trying to get a really good sense of it all. And kind of one thing that they're all saying is that COVID and and the new way of uh, voting that's that's been implemented this year has really thrown everybody for a loop because they're used to having voting in person, precincts, precincts close, they start sending votes in. And so they're kind of calculating on real time. And so they're kind of used to that. Um, and what's been really interesting to watch in this election, and I think you kind of were referencing it when you're talking about the betting markets and, and what have you, is that it kind of started off with expectations that Biden's going to win. Voting came in. It's, it looked like Trump's going to win this thing. He may win it bigger than he did in 2016. And then we all kind of went to bed and then we woke up this morning and, it, you know, all of a sudden it looks very likely that, that Biden's going to pull it out. Um, and that all has to do with, you know, in-person votes skew Trump, 
uh, mail-in ballots skew Biden depending on when these are coming in and when they're not. Um, and it's not really coming in in an even stream. It, it's, I, I saw one where, um, one tweet where they, they processed a batch in Michigan of about 130,000 votes, mail-in ballots, and there wasn't a single vote for Trump in it. Like that's just, that's just insane when you think about the, um, you're, they're just used to votes coming in where, you know, you're a much more even spread, you know, maybe in some really deeply red or deeply blue counties, you know, you're, you have like an 85, 15% difference there. So that, you know, you're sort of expecting a huge break there. You're not usually expecting, you know, at one whole batch to come in and it'd be all for one candidate and, and, and not the other. I just think that that is an element of this whole uh, election day that we weren't prepared for, um, even though we should, probably should have been. Um, and we're kind of seeing the nuance of that play out with different reactions from both campaigns. I mean, you know, you have the Trump campaign that's basically said, no, we're on the path to victory. We're not going to concede. And, and Joe Biden's campaign saying the same thing. I mean, I, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario at the end of today or even at the end of this week where either candidate concedes, even if there is a sort of called winner. Well, and that's not unexpected, right? I mean, that is exactly what we would expect from Trump and what he has said leading up to this election and the confidence that Biden and his campaign had that they were going to win. It's fully makes sense that that's why they're reacting the way they are. I think something interesting right now is that you go, whatever, news out, Wall Street Journal, Fox, they have um, Arizona going for Biden. Trump seems convinced that he's going to get it. He seems super convinced right now. And so I guess the question is, while things are going to be drawn out, while it is going to be a while before we finally know who won, is that unexpected though? Because that does seem to be the prediction that people had. It, it could be a while before we know what is different from two weeks ago when everyone was like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of lawyers lined up to litigate this thing. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, I think I would say that, at least based on my, pers- my perspective and, and what I was hearing and, and reading, that th- there wasn't really going to be a, um, at least from the, the media, that there wasn't really a le- legitimate reason why Trump would concede or, or would not concede the election. Like they were pretty much convinced that when you looked at the votes coming in, that it was going to be a clear Biden victory, but that Trump being the person he is would not concede. And I think, you know, you did see Trump say things like, you know, I remember the, the press asking him weeks ago, you know, do you promise that um, uh, if it looks like you're going to lose the election that you'll transfer power peacefully or that you'll concede? And Trump was basically saying, like, look, I have to see what happens. I have to see what's going on on the ground. I have to see the votes start coming in to, before I can decide what I'm going to do. I'm not going to play hypotheticals with you all. And we can all, you know, sit here and say, ooh, I don't like that answer I feel bad about that, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out that that was probably the, the right answer at the time because it, it come to find out no one really knew what was going to go on. And he's probably going to have, um, it, not, ju- not just Trump, like any president can- presidential candidate would have reasons to contest an election this close. I mean, you're going to see recounts that's just expected with, with, if you have margins you know, by a couple thousand votes. It's just normal. Um, it's nothing we haven't seen before. And so... Um, it, it is a really interesting dynamic uh, when it comes to contesting and, and when we'll find out. Um, I kind of want to turn now to what you were talking about at, at the beginning, which is, you know, what is this election? What is it not? Um, what does it say? What does it not say? And 
Um, because I think we can sit here and crunch the numbers and talk about the, the data all we want, but you know, this is come, we're recording on Wednesday. It'll probably be released sometime later today or tomorrow morning. Those numbers could all change. So I don't really want to spend a ton of time on that. Um, but I do think that there's some, there's some storylines that are coming out of this election um, that are worth talking about, particularly for um, Christians and how Christians uh, engage with the political media landscape, uh, how they engage politics. Um, because I think we saw a couple narratives busted last night. So I guess, let me start with you. So what are, what are some of the things that you saw uh, in the election um, that you're going to sort of take with you as, you, as, as we move past the 2020 election? We got the sense this year that America is a deeply divided country. And true or not, most people felt that these candidates represented vastly different visions for what America ought to be and what it ought to be like. Um, like I said, agree or disagree with, with the, the, fact, the factualness of that. That's how people felt, though. And what we're seeing from people, and I know we don't want to talk about data too much, but I think it does tie into what this election is and what's not, is a deep divide between men and women, between whites and non-whites, between educated and uneducated of how they voted and what they saw and what they wanted. And I think in a sense that is actually very, very discouraging. I did see something yesterday also where um, Trump is uh, was doing better against like most every demographic except for white men doing not as well in that group, which look, we look at what Trump voters have been told the last four years of, of voting for them and what that says about the state of their soul. Maybe that message hit with people and people are like, I'm tired of being called a racist. And so maybe that was a reason that people decided not to vote for Trump. Uh, I think something you and I are following a lot is <clears throat> the way the church is responding to this. And, um, it's super complicated. Uh, is voting important? Yes. Is it sacred? Not in a Christian sense. Uh, does it represent the state of one's sanctification? No, it does not. Can Christians vote for either candidate? Yes, they can. And you, we get within that, you know, uh, you get two different responses. You, <clears throat> among a certain woke Christian, uh, you get the response of if, if evangelicals vote for Trump again, you have hitched your wagon to the devil and you have sold your soul for a bowl of porridge. Um, how dare you? You don't believe in goodness or virtue or all the things you say. Now, if Biden wins, the response is evangelicals. Those of you who are concerned about a Biden victory, do not put your trust in princes. Uh, don't get so worked up. It's not about that anyway. So there's this very real, um, uh, almost two-facedness uh, in their response to this outcome. That's a little confusing, I think, for the, the never-Trumpers out there. Um, and I don't know if I have a somewhat ambivalent perspective on the moral peril of voting for Trump. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I do think that it's going to be very interesting to follow the way Christians respond to this over the next four years. If it is more Trump, um, look, is all the work that was put in the last four years going to continue to be put in? Because they can't claim that their work has unseated him. They can't claim that their work prevented a reelection. At most they can, I, I don't know, like, is it, is it still going to have the same just drive there? If 
Biden wins, are we going to see Christians pay as much attention to his presidency and calling out his actions and his policies as they did Donald Trump? I have a great suspicion that the answer to that question is no, that there's not going to be the same intensive focus on him. And that to me is very intriguing to watch. Should Christians pay attention to elected electoral politics? Yes. Should they pay attention to elected officials? Yes. Should they speak? Should they do it equally? Yes, they should. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen though. Yeah, that that's a good point. Um, I, I think going back to your point about, there was a lot of sentiment that, Trump's campaign and Trump the man and Trump the administration represents white supremacy um, in our country. Uh, and that, you know, that extends to what's going on in our churches and why churches are hitching their wagons to Trump is because there's this still there's still this underlying racial resentment um, deeply seated within the church. Um, and, you know, one thing that I've tried to say on this podcast quite a bit is that um, I, I just find that narrative to be really simplistic and reductionist um, that my, you know, maybe that's happening at, from a data perspective, but anecdotally, I just never encountered anybody that was really like that, that really felt that way. You know, you and I both come from deeply conservative uh, evangelical circles in, in the Bible Belt of Texas. Like this is not something, you know, we're witnessing or experiencing in, inside the beltway that, you know, we've seen, we've been in Bible churches in the Bible belt. We, we sort of understand what's going on there. And um, that narrative never really fit with me. And then last night I'm watching the, the numbers come in and you, you mentioned his polling with, dem, with certain demographics. I mean, uh, the president is, is up significantly in some cases with every single demographic except for white men, which would then suggest that for many, many people in this country, that Trump doesn't represent white supremacy, um, that he represents represent something different. Now, and we can debate about what that is. I'm not really that interested at this point in debating what Trumpism is, but um, I, I think it does shatter that narrative to a certain extent. And it, this morning I tweeted, I said, my, my main election takeaway at this point is that um, we've got to stop treating people. And when I say we, I mean like everybody, including ministry leaders, we have to stop treating people who are different than us as demographics, but we need to start treating them as people uh, who have nuanced perspectives, who have different and diverse circumstances, whether that's vocationally, you know, family, ethnicity, all kinds of things. And so um, when I, when I see those numbers come in and, and people not really grasping with it and, and, trying to filter it through things like identity politics and they're trying to come up with these, you know, rationales for it. You, you see some crazy tweets saying that like, well, now Latinos are basically white. You start seeing things like this and you're, you're kind of wondering, are you willing to change your mind when, when the data or when the numbers come back and, and prove your hypothesis incorrect? Um, and I think that there needs to be a reckoning for a lot of people in this country. I think the media needs a reckoning. I think people at some of these elite institutions need reckonings. But I think ministry leaders need to really pause and reflect on how they've uh, commented on on demographics uh, within the church um, and whether or not they have been susceptible uh, to the same narrative that the media has been pressing. Because, you know, almost every time we see church leaders uh, talking about this issue, I mean, they're citing numbers from places like the New York Times. They're citing numbers from these, these polling. And if anything, the 2020 election has proven that maybe those things aren't as 
solid as we thought they were. Who have admitted that they do not understand religion. I mean, the <laughs> yes. New York Times admitted that their, even their election reporters do not, their religion reporters do not understand religion. You mentioned uh, polls and the way that there's a difference between demographics, polling data, and the actual person. In C.S. Lewis's third book, That Hideous Strength, which is all about kind of uh, scientism and it's mowing over life. He makes this comment in one part of the book where he says there's a huge difference between the demographic democratic man and the actual democratic man when you meet him on the street. You know, like your average plumber or dude at a pub who supposedly holds these views and then you meet them and you're like, oh my gosh, this is actually what they're like. And I think he was really tapping on into something and that was 70 years ago. Uh, and I think that it's only gotten worse and, and the way that we really look at people as a whole based on polling data. And I don't know if, like you said, that is not, <laughs> that is not what we're, how we're called to live and love. Uh, it can be maybe a helpful barometer in some ways, but other than that, I don't know how much use it, it holds for, in terms of loving people, probably not a lot. Um, also, you, you mentioned um, white men voting for Trump. You mentioned demographics, uh, not voting. Uh, and Robert Putnam uh, has, in, in some of his studies, and I'm sure you can find this elsewhere, but has pointed that religious involvement has actually declined among uneducated white people. So religious involvement in local churches and congregations, not, not religious identification, but actual religious involvement, which I think for those of us who, who are listening to this podcast, I think we probably put that as a more important indicator of where people fall in their religion, um, is down among uneducated whites. And that is the same demographic who has been labeled as white evangelicals who voted for Trump in the 2016 election. And I'm thinking, hey, wait a second here. Like there's, there's a disparity here. There's actually something going on. Maybe, and we've seen this from data recently from other studies that are saying uh, evangelicals don't really hold evangelical beliefs. But not only that, probably evangelicals aren't evangelicals, like even in, in, in their attendance, they just have, have been lumped in that bag. So um, yeah, there, there's a lot to, uh, to consider and take away here. Um, and just to, to hopefully bring some, uh, some adjusting. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Um, it, it goes back to the, you know, the, the longstanding debate about does evangelical as a word and as an indicator mean anything anymore. And uh, um, I think your, your point with, with Robert Putnam is more indication of that. Um, I, I think it's also worth saying that um, just generally across the board, even if you dig in past the presidential election, you look at Senate races, you look at house races. I mean, um, I think that there was a fair amount of, of commentary that said that this was, you were really going to see a blue wave. You know, one of the things, you know, before we started recording, Will, you mentioned that one of the things this election is not, which a lot of people thought it was going to be, which is a referendum on Trump um, and a referendum on the Republicans, especially as you consider uh, the recent uh, confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, there were, there was a lot of talk coming out of the democratic circles that, you know, you're going to see a huge blue wave in this election because people are fed up with Republicans. And um, based on what I'm seeing right now, I just don't see that to be the case. Um, it looks like Republicans are going to do just fine uh, and maintain the Senate. They're not going to win the House, which was a far, far um, likelihood of that happening anyway. But um, it seems that there are there's some surprise wins um, uh, across the country uh, with candidates that you didn't really expect. Um, I think one of the more interesting ones that I was following, because I have a buddy who's a reporter down in South Carolina, uh, he was covering the the House race uh, between Cunningham and his Republican challenger, who was a single mom. And, you know, he's an incumbent. 
they thought he's a really likable ca- candidate, really great guy, um, wasn't able to hold on to a seat. And it, I, I think what that race, I kind of use it as a, as a example of this. What this race tends to me to, to represent is that there's a fundamental shift going on uh, underneath the, the political landscape um, in, in terms of coalition building in this country. Um, I, I think what you've seen now, whether or not Trump wins this election, I think it's safe to say that a Trump-esque Republican Party, plus or minus the sort of um, character flaws of their candidate or uh, the way that they describe immigration or, or things like that, um, I think that the, the Trump-esque part of the party is not going away. And when I mean that, or when I say that, I mean, I think you're going to see a Republican Party that is increasingly appealing to diverse multiracial working class people from the Midwest to the South uh, and to the Sun Belt. Um, and I, I guess I don't really want to comment on whether or not I think that's a positive or negative development because I feel like that would be too political um, to really say. But I, I do think as a Christian, I can say that I am happy to see that uh, there is more attention given to that demographic of our country. I, I think it is a group of people that have mostly been overlooked um, for quite a while. And I think as Christians, as people who are called to care for the poor, um, to care for the immigrant, um, I think political parties where they feel an overarching need that if they want to win power, they have to appeal to those, those parts of our country, uh, I think is a, is a positive development. And so I feel comfortable enough saying that. Um, we'll have to kind of see what that looks like going forward. Yeah, I saw Josh Hawley tweet out last night. He said that we, we are now the party of the working class. <clears throat> and that kind of feeds to the um, coalition building that you're saying. And, and I mean, my goodness. Uh, and uh, let me just jump in. Let me just jump in here real quick. Like, not just the white working class. I mean, you look at counties like Miami-Dade, where, you know, that's a 70% Latino, you know, lots of, you can break that up into a bunch of different sub- subcategories, Cuban-Americans, Venezuelan-Americans, what have you, very heavily Cuban-American, but mostly, you know, working class uh, folks. And I mean, Trump overperformed in that county alone uh, in ways that, you know, we've never seen before. Now, a lot of that could have been the socialism uh, messaging that was happening around the election. But I think at, at some level too, you know, there is this sort of appeal um, with this new Republican platform. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, 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 you're right. I, I was just, um, victories that were major, that were not expected. Lindsey Graham and the hundreds of million dollars that were, hundred hundred million dollars that was spent by the Democratic Party to try to unseat him and just nothing. Mitch McConnell won handedly. Uh, Tommy Tuberville won in Alabama. Tillis won in North Carolina. So a, a lot the of- The Michigan people- Senate race is looking really interesting too. So in one sense, to keep the Senate when it was thought that the Republicans were going to lose the Senate and Donald Trump, if, if he ended up losing, to lose is something of uh, a measurement of the level of distaste that people have for the man himself, but not as much the, the, the policies, I think. Otherwise, you would have seen a greater loss among the Senate race. However, so, I mean, but we, we have to wait and see what that is. But we can say pretty clearly that this is... Um, not a referendum on him that most people didn't seem to buy the line uh, that to be a Trump supporter is to be inherently racist. Um, that that doesn't seem to be uh, as palatable to as many people as 
even I was expecting. I thought that it, I was sure that it was going to be um, a much bigger victory for Biden should he come out and win. I kind of want to end on this because we're probably running out of time here pretty soon. But I want to turn back to sort of the evangelicals, evangelical leaders. Um, there was a lot of money and energy spent to try to pick away at some of the evangelical vote uh, of, of Donald Trump. We saw a lot of uh, attention given to, I think it was called Not Our Vote. I think that was the the group. Yeah, Not Our Faith, Not Our Vote. Yeah, Not Our Faith, Not Our Vote, that group um, uh, that was really appealing for folks. I, I, I mean, it was, I think that the folks behind it are pro-Biden, but I, I, I felt like overall the campaign was more about getting evangelicals to just rethink a vote for Trump. And so, uh, you know, we saw a lot of that going on. We saw a lot of the... The, the John Piper piece, uh, just a lot of those sort of things going on. Uh, Tim Keller's tweets, things like that. Well, um, in, in connection with John Piper, we saw that his invitation to speak at Liberty University was rescinded. Right. So, you know, you have kind of all this, this activity going on with evangelical leaders. And um, I just thought it was interesting. This is anecdotal, so don't, don't take, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, this morning uh, when I got up, I saw that there were two interviews uh, that I wanted to watch with evangelical leaders just to see what they said. Um, I saw the former governor, Mike Huckabee, uh, and I saw uh, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr., Avita King. Uh, come on. Both led with, uh, you know, no matter what happens in this election, we know that Jesus is sovereign. We know that Jesus is on the throne um, and that the Christians don't put their faith in political leaders and will move forward. And I just thought that was interesting because of, of all the evangelical leaders who would go on TV and really say like, no, this is, this is it. This is the end. If we don't win this election, it's, it's crucial um, that we win, you know, even maybe floating some stuff about, you know, whether ballots are being counted correctly or not. Um, it, it just is interesting to me that they don't, you know, those are two ev- evangelical leaders by the media standards and they didn't buy into that narrative, it seems. Um, and so I do wonder you know, I'm kind of really thinking now, what are we going to say in our churches on Sunday? Um, Are we going to uh, come in with where we kind of know who wins? And so we're kind of responding to that. Are we going to be in a moment of uncertainty? Um, Are we going to be projecting what we think evangelicals are thinking, or are we actually going to listen to folks and, and figure out where they are and where they're coming from? This kind of goes back to the treat people as pe- people, not demographics. Um, so I guess my question to you, Will, what do you think the message is for ministry leaders, pastors, churches on Sunday? What is the thing that they should be communicating to their congregants? What do I think they should, or what do I think they will communicate? Both. I mean, I would be interested in knowing because of your your wisdom in this matter what you would oh, what you oh. would say. Um, well, but yeah, I, what what I, what you think what might be said too would be valuable. Well, what they should say is there is a dearth of understanding of what the church is. There is an excess of what the church does, and when we cut off what the church is uh, from what the church does, we get an over-focus and a, a misdiagnosis of our potential and what we can actually do. And we forget what our first responsibilities and priorities are. Because the church uh, 
primarily is not a reconciliatory body. It is not first a truth-telling body. It is not first a loving our neighbor's body. Uh, It is first and foremost the glorious body of Christ. That is the first and foremost and the most important thing for the church to remember that it is, that the church is united to Christ, that it is seated at the right hand of the Father, that it is redeemed and it is being sanctified, and that that mission cannot be, there is nothing, uh, neither angels nor demons, nothing on heaven or on earth can separate us from that love. That is the reality of the church and who we are. And then we can work out from there of what our responsibility is, of how we are to continue to live. But that security uh, cannot be tampered with and cannot be changed. I I think that that message is missing. Um, And with that as well, I'll say, I think that there is a embarrassment around speaking about the doctrine of heaven and our hope in heaven and what we have to look forward to and even heaven coming to earth and the renewal that God will bring when he returns. Um, I think that those, those shifts have to be emphasized. Um, I think that we have to also do a better job of um, not making politics primary, at least not electoral politics in the United States. Um, And I think that we also have to, I mean, just remember because that, that we're going to be okay. I think that's great. That's a great word. Um, well, this has been awesome. I'm really excited that we got to sit down and chat and hear about, you know, how each other was interacting with the election and, and sort of our initial reactions to it. I'm sure there will be much more to come. Uh, I don't know if this will be our last election episode, uh, just because we may come back in a few days and have more to talk about. So yeah, it seems unlikely. It seems unlikely that this is the last time we'll be talking about the even the results of the 2020 election. Right. Um, so thank you so much for listening to the Will and Rob show. A, a couple plugs here just because I think it's important. The first is if you haven't checked it out already, uh, I know it's a little late uh, because the elections already happened, but I think it still applies um, as we wait for the, the final results to be to call through. But uh, Ministry of State put out a uh, 2020 election prayer guide, which you can check out on our website uh, at www.ministryofstate.org. I think it's definitely worth your time. Another thing, uh, we're really excited because our friend uh, and uh, courageous leader, uh, Michael Langer, his, his podcast, Faithful Presence, is back. So you can listen to episode three. Uh, it's now on Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you again for listening to The Will and Rob Show. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will. And with that, we'll see you guys again next week. <laughs>